Hey there, I'm Grace. And I'm Amelia. And welcome to the Women Invest in Real Estate podcast, where we talk about getting started in real estate, scaling, and we give you the inside scoop about our day-to-days as full-time investors. Come join our free live webinar on three steps to launching a successful midterm rental. We will cover the exact steps to adding a cash flowing midterm rental to your portfolio. Amelia and I scaled to over 20 midterm rentals in the last few years, and we're also going to share our biggest MTR mistakes. You'll also learn about the four types of MTR tenants and the three worst MTR cash flow killers. If you join us live, we'll be giving away a spot to our all-encompassing midterm rental bootcamp. Trust me, you'll want that. We'll be hosting live webinars on Thursday, October 12th and Sunday, October 22nd. Head to womeninvestinrealestate.com slash webinar to sign up. We hope to see you there. Welcome back to the Women Invest in Real Estate podcast. Today, we have back our very first guest we ever had on the Wire podcast, Ashley Gallagher, and she was on episode six. And I literally can't wait to start talking to you, Ashley, because I have a million questions. You've been doing a massive project. So for people who have no idea who you are, give us a quick catch up on like the project you just completed and who you are. And then I'm sure Amelia and I will have a million follow up questions. Yeah, sure. First of all, thanks for having me back. It's great to be back on your guys' podcast. And I love what you guys are doing with the community that you've built. But just quickly, my name is Ashley Gallagher. I'm a full-time real estate investor located in Seattle. I do a mix of different things in terms of investing, short-term rentals, midterm rentals, out-of-state rentals. And most recently, I am a multifamily developer and owner-operator. And the project, Grace, that you're talking about is I just finished my first multifamily development, which is a 20 unit apartment complex right outside of Seattle, Washington, which I've seen. I watched that like six months ago. And I remember it was like still pretty much concrete. And now it's done. So when did you finish that? We officially received certificate of occupancy July 31st, 2023. So the last day of July. And go ahead, Amelia. I was just going to say, I want to even just know, like even go back further. I mean, you just completed it, but like what even made you have the balls to do a new build on a 20 unit apartment? Before that, how big was your real estate portfolio? And then when did you decide to start developing? Yeah, great question. So interestingly enough, this development project was my first investment project. When we had the idea to start this, I pretty much did not have my real estate portfolio. So yeah, literally this was my first project and everything else has been built in parallel to this project because it's Mm -hmm. a pretty lengthy process, to be honest. When did you start? Like when was the first initial Yeah, so we We had the idea to do it in 2019 and then, you know, 2020 happened and, you know, a lot of things got put on hold, including our project because the sky was falling and it just wasn't something we were going to start. But we officially picked the project back up in December of 2020 and we submitted our permits January 2021 and then permits were approved in August, I think, of 2021. And then we officially broke ground in early 2022. Okay. But to answer your first question, like kind of what got us started in this is, so, you know, real estate investing, the goal is generational wealth, right? 
and time freedom, financial freedom, all those things. And so me, I have a, a background in finance, business, et cetera. So I always knew that, you know, wealth was something I wanted in life. And real estate specifically, I was always looking for the best ways or different ways to build generational wealth. And long story short, we had some friends that were doing multifamily development. And, you know, we asked them a lot of questions and how they were doing it, what the process was, just like initial stuff. And kind of at the end of the day, we were like, okay, well, if they're doing it, why can't we do it? And that's kind of what got us going. We were just talking on a podcast episode that the only thing that separates us from other people being successful in real estate is that we got started. And I Mm -hmm. think this is so like, oh my gosh, your first ever investment was to build a 20 unit apartment building, but you had the audacity, like you had the audacity to think that you could do that. And then you did it like, oh my God. Yeah. And now that it's done, what is the feeling of like standing on the sidewalk, looking at your 20 unit with all the tenants in there? Like, what does that feel like? Honestly, it's pretty like there's not many words that can just can describe it. Like it is it's so wild. Like, you know, looking at this very large asset and seeing it from start to finish, like when it was just a concept on paper to like actual housing dwellings, it's crazy. It's wild. Like it is really, really wild. It's a great feeling. There's such a difference too between renovating or buying a 20 unit and from the ground up building a 20 unit. Like I feel like people don't realize that. Watching the vertical construction was just, it was mind blowing. I can't remember, but did you guys have some sort of like, I don't know if mentor is the right term, but did you have like a project manager that was helping you along the way to like even know what to do? Yeah, kind of. So in the beginning, like our friends, they kind of served as that. You know, we had a million and 10,000 questions. They did a really good job answering our questions and like helping us get more comfortable. But, you know, after we decided to go like run with the project, it was really just understanding that you need to hire a lot of different people that will make the project go. And so just having the right team in place was so important for us. Yeah. It's not like a renovation where you could have like one contractor. Like you have your architect, you have all these different contractors. You have somebody, a civil engineer, probably so many other people that I I don't even know. Yeah. So you, you have a pretty good, solid team. Well, you should have a pretty good, solid team. Architect, your civil engineer, your structural engineer, landscape designer. Like a designer for the interior, like almost an yeah. interior designer. I don't know if that's yeah. the same thing as an architect or is that separate? The architect. Yeah. Your architect helps a lot with the interior design and interior design in terms of from a development architectural standpoint is like, you know, how are the lights going to hang from the ceiling, Um, cabinets, uh, countertops, the placement of things, not necessarily like your decor stuff, Mm -hmm. but interior design as like the actual design of the interior of the units. Um, I'm just thinking like, in 10 years, like because you built that, you'll always be able to drive past that property and be like, we built that. And like yeah. you're saying you want generational wealth. So theoretically, you own it forever. But if you didn't, you would still be able to be like, remember when we built that from the ground up? Yep. Yeah. If we sell it, like I can still drive by and say, hey, you know, I developed, built that building. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Okay. I'm really interested in the financials for that. How did you fund that? 
Yeah. So a lot of it is financed, obviously, but so development, you know, in general, um, there's a lot of different terms that a lot of people may not know, but there's, you know, your soft costs, your hard costs, construction costs, construction costs, construction financing, permanent financing, all that kind of stuff, but not to take up too much time. But in a nutshell, we had a lot of, a lot of -of out-of-pocket expenses, And that was primarily a mix of like our personal savings and HELOC funds. So I think it was maybe like half a million dollars that we needed just to get started. And then from there, the construction, the actual physical construction, we got a construction loan for that. We did have to pay interest on the construction loan. So that was a matter of like personal savings and HELOC funds. And then now that it's done, we're refinancing into like a more permanent commercial loan. It's very similar to like a a burr, right? But just at a a larger scale. Yeah. Did you go with like a small local lender for that project? So for the first one that we just completed, so for the construction financing, went with a like a national hard money lender. And that was primarily because we had no experience. I would say we knew what we were doing, but in the eyes of a lender, you know, we don't (laughs) have any experience and stuff like that in development specifically. So it was really hard to go to like some of the larger banks or the local credit unions without that experience. And so the construction was done with the national hard money lender. And then our refinance, we're actually doing that with a local credit union. And I think the probably the part Amelia and I are most interested in is, you know, we love midterm rentals and you have how many units rented as a furnished unit right now? Yeah, so it's a 20-unit building, and 16 of the units are furnished as midterm rentals. Tell us about those numbers, that decision, and how that process has been. So I think, as I mentioned, we decided to do the project in 2019, and then we actually got started at the end of 2020. And I think, as you guys know, in 2021, around that time, like interest rates were great, you know, life was great everything, (laughs) no problems getting financing, et cetera. And that changed pretty quickly. So when we underwrote this deal, I underwrote it using conservative interest rates for refinancing and things like that. And even conservative cap rates and DSCRs. And when everything changed, you know, my conservative estimates were no longer conservative. What was Uh, your conservative interest rate? I think I, I think I underwrote the deal at like, five and a half percent. And so, you know, fast forward to today, you know, September 27th, 2023, interest rates are a lot different on the commercial side and residential side. And so long story short, like our our financing definitely changed with the change in the market. And so um, we're looking for you know, ways to increase the income of the property. I'm sure you guys know, but multifamily of that size, you know, four plus units, their income is based on NLI, like how much you can bring revenue you can bring to the property. So we were thinking of different ways that we can do that. And immediately I thought of midterm rentals or short-term rentals. Yeah. The value is based off of how much money the property can take. So you're like, we got to make more money with this property. How'd you decide on 16 units? 
So our apartment building actually has an affordable housing aspect to it. The city that we're in, they provide incentives for affordable housing, new development. And so we're taking advantage of a multifamily tax exemption. And in order to have that tax exemption, we have to dedicate 20% of our units to affordable housing. And so four units were pretty much income restricted. They are reserved for individuals who make a certain percentage of the average income of the area. So those four units have to go to certain families, certain individuals that make a certain amount. So that leaves us with the the 16 that we had left. And I don't know if we said this, but you're in Tacoma. That's where you built it. Yeah, Tacoma, right right outside of Seattle. Cool. So... Okay, I have a, a million questions and I'm I'm bad about like keeping them in order. But one of my questions is how is your lender when we get this question a lot? How does your lender look at the income for midterm rental and short-term rental and qualify that? Because a lot of people are like, my lender doesn't understand short-term or midterm rental income. They only want to look at long-term. So have you run into any obstacles with that? Actually, I think we got pretty lucky with our relationship that we have with this lender. Our appraisal and everything was done off of long-term rents, like market rents for long-term rentals. So the appraisal was done at that. And we had a, we sat down and had a conversation with our lender and said, hey, this is what we're looking at doing. You know, do you guys have any questions, any issues? And they really just wanted to know what the income would be from doing the midterm, short-term rental model. And you know, once they saw that they were, they were comfortable with it because it pretty much, it's still, the deal would still work as long-term rentals. So they were okay financing it that way. And what did the property appraise for, if you don't mind sharing? I think our latest appraisal, we got quite a few. I think our latest was 3.9 million. Oh my gosh. Wow. (laughs) What did you run your estimate as? I don't know if you remember, but like when your first initial go around, like what were you underwriting it as? Yeah, we actually underwrote it a little bit above four, four million. And that difference was just due to like the change in cap rates and Mm -hmm. uh, DSCR requirements. Wow. Okay. So what would a long-term unit not subsidize, like not the subsidized, just like a market rate long-term unit go for there? And then what is your midterm rental rate? Yeah. So the market rate rents for the units we have. So we have a mix of one bedrooms and a mix of studios, but the average would be about 1400, 1350, 1400. And then we're renting them out furnished at 21, 2100. How quickly were you able to fill those units? What did the leasing process look like? So I'm actually, what I'm doing is I'm leasing them to one individual. I saw this on Instagram and I'm like, ooh, I want to know the details behind that. So did you pay for the furnishing or did you like sublease these out and then that person furnished them and they're getting the spread and income? Like, what's that look like? So we furnished them ourselves. So we paid for the furnishing, did the furnishing, all that. So we're handing them over fully furnished for someone else to operate. Yeah. And that could be a win-win for somebody who's like, I have the time and the know-how to manage all this and make money, but I don't necessarily have the capital to furnish 16 units. Because how much did that cost you to furnish 16 units, roughly? It was about 40. We're still finalizing all the numbers. Numbers. About 40 grand. Yeah. But then you're like, I have the 40 grand. I can furnish it. I maybe don't have the time and don't want to put in the effort. So that's an awesome win-win. How did you find them? 
just networking. Like I, you know, while I was doing this development project, I built a portfolio of short-term rentals and midterm rentals that are single families. And just being in that space and networking in my local area, ran across someone that was looking for more units. So did who approached who? Well, they said that they were looking for more units. And I was like, hey, I got some units coming up. Let's talk. <laughs> 16 to be exact. <laughs> yeah, 16 to be exact. And just for your information, 40,000 divided by 16 is 2,500 per unit, which is very in line with like, I think what Grace and I furnish our units for, like our one bedrooms. And I hear so many people like, oh my God, there's no way you can furnish a one bedroom apartment on $2,500. And it's like, actually you can, because these don't need to be like the highest quality pieces. You know what I mean? It just needs to be cute, comfy, and cozy. Yeah. And our units, I think I mentioned, you know, we're doing, we have one bedroom, one bath units, and then also studio units and they're not that large. So we don't need, you know, we're not doing like king size beds and, you know, a whole bunch of furniture. Like we have a few furniture pieces and few bedroom pieces and it all Mm -hmm. worked out. When did he sign his lease or she, I don't know. September. Yeah. What is that? What is that? What does it look like? Are they paying you then? And then they're getting like the spread. They're the subleaser. Yeah, it's like arbitrage. Oh. That's smart. I want to build a 20 unit and then hand it off to somebody else and still make good money, but know that they can pay me a good rent and still make money on their end. That's so smart. Yeah. And I, you know, I have other development projects that I want to do and starting and, you know, I could, I could manage them myself, but it's just not the best use of my time right now. So being able to hand them off to someone and then just know that that you know, guaranteed rent's going to come in. Mm -hmm. Great. Is it a one-year lease? We did start with a one-year, but we've already talked about doing more than one year. Are you self-managing the other four units then? No, I ended up hiring a third-party property manager for those. We were going to do like a in-house property management model, but that kind of fell apart last minute. And so we just went out and found a third-party. And then with the multifamily tax exemption, there's certain requirements that go with that and on leasing out those units. So we're just doing property management for now. I remember we were talking about that when I saw your development about whether you were going to go in-house or hire a third party or what. So it's, it's cool to now see six months later what you've been doing. But back to the person who subleased, have they shared like their success? Like, are they hitting the numbers that they were projecting? Like, is I'm guessing if they've, you've already talked about extending. Yes. I actually, I don't know for sure. Right now we're working together on like getting the building kind of retrofitted for their needs to have people come in and out. Like for example, changing out the exterior keypads to Mm -hmm. actual, right now they're like fob access. So we're changing them out to have like a keypad so people can easily get in and out. You don't have to have a physical fob or key and then working with them to get Wi-Fi set up in all the units. So I haven't, I haven't asked yet how it's going, like actually renting out the units. Does this building, I was actually going to ask about the keypad thing. Does each unit have its own keypad lock then too, or is it a physical key for each door? So we built it to have a physical key for each door, but this person is retrofitting all of that and putting on uh, keypads. And then are there common areas in this building at all? There is, there's one common space. There's an outdoor courtyard. Between the two buildings, I don't know if this is really a common space, but there's like a bike storage room. But other than that, it's literally, think of like your modern day efficiency apartments 
we took a we took a lot that had a single family home on it and infilled it with 20 units. So it's not it's not like your downtown high rise with a equipment room and rooftop mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. It's on the smaller side. Yeah. That I think is the craziest part is that there was one, I'll, I'll never forget you said this. You were like, look at that lot. There's one, cause the house next door to you, you're like, look at that lot. It's huge. And there's one house. So maybe three people living there. If I could build on it, I'd have 20 units and maybe 40 people living there. And I was just like, I don't know why, but that blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So cool. And doing the housing shortage, use up all the land you can. And speaking of that, you have down the street, you were looking at purchasing another house to infill and build on. Did that happen? Did you close on it? Yeah, that happened. Closed on it. And in the early stages of getting the design process going right now. Project number two. Yeah. Yeah. Is that going to be like a similar size? Yep. Similar size. Probably not similar concept, but definitely similar size. Did you have any hurdles with the new build and as far as like contractors go, or were you able to find like a really good one off the bat and then just roll with that? Yeah. So our our general contractor that we had, one general contractor throughout the whole project, we never got involved with any of the subs or anything like that. So we we mainly communicated with the GC and, you know, project went over in terms of construction it was supposed to be 12 months. It took closer to like 17, 18. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like that stuff is kind of expected and it's kind of like water under the bridge. No, like detrimental things happened and especially nothing happened that would make me not want to do it again. And can I go back to a few numbers? So it appraised for around 4 million. What were you all in at? So we were all in at about probably 3.2. Okay. Yeah, about 3.2 million. It's going to be like a burr, like a good, perfect burr, right? Yeah. Except for that you're almost adding seven figures to your net worth instead of 100,000 or 10,000, which is just crazy, all for one project. Yeah, it's it's very similar to a burr, just, you know, Mm -hmm. same concepts. Definitely the same concepts. For any crazy kids out there like you who would be looking to get into new developments, what's some advice that you would give them? The number one advice I would give them is if you're not patient, like learn how to be patient because it's definitely a long process. Like this is not, you know, instant gratification. Our project took from the start of actually designing the project to finish. It was probably what, two years, two and a little over two years, probably. And so it's just, it's just a really long process and you have to be okay with that from the beginning. If you're not like you you probably won't enjoy it and you won't want to do it anymore. Other I'd be advice- terrible at it then. I know. I'm I was so like, okay, patient. so I'm not building any new builds. <laughs> yeah. Dang it. There goes my yeah. life plan. But I mean, there's other things you can do in the, in the meantime, right? It's not like you're sitting there just waiting for this one thing to happen. Other advice I would give is just try to educate yourself as much as possible, like network with other people, YouTube, find groups that are focused on development, podcasts, books. There's a lot of organizations out there that are centered on development that you can learn from. Learn the language and try to educate yourself as much as possible. And don't think you need to know every single piece because you don't. Like you you need to know who to hire basically to help you get things done. So now on your second one, do you feel like you're just flying through it? Like you're like, I know this, or is it still learning a ton along the ways? 
but still learning a ton along the ways. Like there's just, there's so much and there's, there's so many different things you could do. There's different ways to do the same thing. So yeah, I'm a forever learner, always learning. That's a big thing. I think for people that are investors or just entrepreneurs in general, I feel like a common personality trait is being a lifelong learner. Like Mm -hmm. I love learning new things. It brings me joy. And I think that's huge in this job, I guess you could call it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You got to stay current. You got to stay sharp. Absolutely. (laughs) I have another question that I forgot to ask earlier. How did you know that there would be a big enough demand for midterm rentals in Tacoma? What's the market like there that you thought, okay, this will be a good decision? Yeah. So I have single family homes that are midterm rentals in that kind of general vicinity also. So I kind of knew from that, that there would be a good market for them. The area is close to like a three or four major hospitals or one major hospital and then like three other large hospitals. And then the area itself is growing and going through a lot of like redevelopment with the city. So that brings more people. It's a it's a large city right outside of Seattle. But I think the biggest thing was is like the person I'm working with on the midterm rentals, like they needed more units. So they on their end saw demand and yeah. Okay. So now you have, you just finished this a couple months ago. You have number two, what else is on your plate and what is in the near future? Yeah. So right now I'm really focused on getting the next one off the ground, like up and running. I do have another property that I already own that I can develop on also. So hopefully, I don't know if I'll run two projects in tandem, but getting this one off the ground and then starting to think about the next one. And then I'm also, I started doing flips, you know, got to build up some cash, right? So I started doing flips, um, hopefully continuing that right now I'm doing out of state flips and it's going good so far. So hopefully more of those in conjunction with developing. I didn't know that you were doing flips. Yeah. Wait, what we're at, like, I mean, just what state? The one I'm doing now is in Georgia. Okay, cool. Uh, Has that been challenging, like being far away from it? Or has it, have you built your team and you feel good about it? So how this came about is I, I've been doing a mastermind and addicted to ROI mastermind with a certain, a group of people for about two years. And one of the people, one of the persons he lives in Georgia. And over the last two years, I've seen him do all kinds of flips and they're always successful. And I was like, Hey, I need in on that. And so <laughs> give me a piece of that. Yeah. Give me a piece of that. So he has a team, he has, you know, everyone he's working with. So I'm using his team that's already in place. And it hasn't, it hasn't been hard being away from it. Um, just cause I've been so busy with development for one. And then I have other out of state rentals. So I don't need to be, you know, front and center close to my projects. I'm okay with being, having some distance there. Where's your out-of-state rentals again? Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Okay. I was going to say it's Wisconsin, which is so random, but yeah, I love a, I love a Midwest market. <laughs> yeah. I'd actually never been there until I went to look at properties there. Crazy. You are just not scared to take risks. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I guess I'm not. I mean. You're conservatively uh, taking risks, I think. Yes. Yes. I have to, I look at the risk and I see how I can balance it. If I can balance it, then it's a go. Like I'm. I'm not going to go out and take like a 
$400 million risk. Like that's right. <laughs> calculated risk. Calculated risk. Yeah. There you yeah. Go. So if people want to find you outside of this podcast, where are you most active? I'm most active on Instagram. I just try to share a lot of what I'm doing there. And my handle on Instagram is at rei.ashley underscore PNW for Pacific Northwest. We'll have that linked in the show notes too. If you want to find Ashley. Grace, you got any burning last minute questions? No, I was just going to say, I guess we'll have to have you back in about a year to talk about project three and four. And thank you for being also the first person we've ever had twice. So we love you. We support you. And it's so cool to watch what you're doing. So thanks for sharing with our audience. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, everyone. We'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you loved today's episode, please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to check us out and join our community at womeninvestinrealestate.com and follow us on Instagram at wirewithtwoeyes.community.